Thank you, brother, for the welcome. It's good to be back with you again this evening, and indeed the next uh, couple of Wednesday nights as well. It's good to be here, sharing fellowship with you again, and sharing in the ministry of the Word, and I'd like to thank also for the invite to come in the first place. Now, we're turning tonight to Job chapter 21, please. Job 21. I'm going to take time to read the first 18 verses, and there's a text in the middle of it which we will deal with for the next three Wednesday nights. But I want to read it and use it as a launch pad for what we will cover the next three Wednesday evenings. Job 21 and verse 18, please. The Word of God says in Job 21, but Job, and of course the but connects it, to what has went before. But Job answered and said, Hear diligently my speech, and let this be your consolations. Suffer me that I may speak, and after that I have spoken, mock on. As for me, is my complaint to man? And if it were so, why should not my spirit be troubled? Mark me, be astonished, lay your hands upon your mouth. Even when I remember, I am afraid, and trembling taketh hold on my flesh. Wherefore do the wicked laugh? Become old, yea, are mighty in power. The seed, their seed is established in their sight with them, and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth. And casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock. Their children dance. They take the timbrel and the harp. And rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth. And in a moment go down to the grave. Therefore they say unto God. Depart from us. For we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the almighty that we should serve him? What profit should we have? If we pray unto him. Lo their good is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How oft is the candle of the wicked put out. How oft cometh the destruction upon them. God distributeth sorrows in his anger. They are stubble before the wind. And his chaff that the storm carrieth away. And we'll leave our reading in Job 21 there. At verse 18, and we know that the Lord will bless the reading of his own inspired, infallible, inerrant, indestructible, incorruptible, and inexhaustible word of truth. Now, the first thing that a preacher must never ever do is take a text out of its context and make it a pretext. He must never take a text out of context and make it a pretext. So therefore, for a few moments, I want to spend setting the context of what's going on before we turn to the text that I've alluded to. Of course, we know that Job has been wrestling with his so-called friends, Job's so-called comforters. And in chapter 20 and verse 1, it says, Then answered so far the Namathite and said, And he goes into a spreel, and he has been giving his counsel, and he concludes his pearls of wisdom In verse 29 of chapter 20 with the words, This is the portion of a wicked man from God and the heritage 
appointed unto him by God. And here he is. And he's saying, Job, you're a wicked man. You're a rascal. And you're suffering the judgment of God because of your wickedness and because of your sin. Not much comfort from that fella. And struggling saint this evening, I want to say at the outset, be careful whom you go to for advice. Much better to go to people with godly wisdom. Much better to go to people steeped in this book. People who can open this word and bring you help and encouragement from the word of God. When we come to Chapter 21, Job is responding. And he quotes my text down in verse 15, where it says, What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray unto him? What a question, what question. And as I see, there are three things, there are three aspects of that question that demand our attention. What is God or who is gone? Why should we serve him? And why should we pray unto him? And therefore, over the next three Wednesday nights, I'm going to look at each of those aspects. And tonight I want to start with saying, what is the Almighty or who is the Almighty anyway? I want to start by bringing before you his uncomparable uniqueness. The uncomparable uniqueness of our God. The psalmist says in Psalm 113 and verse 5, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? Who is like unto the Lord our God? Who is like our God this evening? The psalmist could say in Psalm 104, And verse 2, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment? Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain? Who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters? Who maketh his clouds as his chariot? Who walketh on the wings of the wind? Only our God, only the Almighty can cover himself with light as a garment. Only he stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Only he lays his chamber, the beams of his chambers in the waters. Only he walks on the wings of the wind. Who is like unto our God this evening? The psalmist could say, or sorry, a prophet Isaiah could say in Isaiah 46 and verse 9, For I am God, and there is none else on there. Who else is there? I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. I am God and there is none else. Not Allah. He cannot do the things that God does but he doesn't exist. Nor the God of Taoism or Taos. Nor the millions of God of the Hinduism. Nor the gods of Baism. Nor any God of any religion. Our God tonight is unique. He alone is worthy of our worship. Who or what is the Almighty? He is unique tonight. His uncomparable uniqueness. I want to come secondly to his amazing attributes this evening. And there are so many of them. You can only 
gloss over some of them quickly. But what about the grace of our God? Who else has the amazing grace of our God? What amazing grace he has part of his character that he so freely gives to us. Of course, we're all here tonight because we've experienced saving grace. That great verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that we so often preach the gospel from. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We love that good hymn of Isaac Watts, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see what saving grace he has bestowed upon us. But maybe there's one in tough waters tonight, and there's sustaining grace for us. Nehemiah in chapter 9 verse 21 says, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lack nothing, their clothes wax not old, and their feet swell not. (coughs) How he sustained his people for forty years in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out, and their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet swell not. They lacked for nothing. Now, I'm not quite sure how the modern Ulster woman would do with the same clothes for 40 years, but that's a different question. But the reality is God sustained them, and he sustains us. The psalmist could say in Psalm 3 and verse 5, I let me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. The great sustaining (coughs) grace of our God. The psalmist testifies to a saving grace. Our sustaining grace. Elijah experienced his sustaining grace under the juniper tree and so on. John and the Isle of Patmos experienced his sustaining grace. The woman with the cruise of oil experienced his sustaining grace. And many this evening can testify also how he sustained them in tough days and in difficult days. And they can point to the sustaining grace of our God who or what is the Almighty this evening. Sustaining grace. Saving grace. And I don't need to come to St. Field tonight to tell you that his grace is sufficient grace. That grace of Second Corinthians, or Second Corinthians 12 and 9, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Child of God, this evening, whatever you're facing, Whatever trial, whatever trouble, whatever tribulation, whatever the test, there's sustaining grace. His grace is sufficient grace. Don't rely on your own strength. Turn it over to him. Give the circumstances to him. And then when we do so, we'll experience his strength and his peace and his comfort. We'll experience his presence and his power. And how often we've seen it in the past and we can testify, my grace is sufficient for thee. We think of who is the Almighty or what is the Almighty. We think of his amazing attributes. I don't have time to develop all the aspects of his grace, such as serving grace and satisfying grace and so on. But of course we remind ourselves of the old acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. He's grace. What is, our, what is the Almighty? What about his grace? What about his mercy? Psalm 145 and verse 8, we're reminded, the Lord is gracious, 
full of compassion, slow of anger, and of great mercy. The great mercy of our God. Remember here, and you all know my friendship with Brother Pastor Harvey Shaw. Remember listening to Harvey describing to a young fellow one time when he was asked, what's the difference between grace and mercy? And Harvey's answer was simply this, that it's God's grace that gives me everything that I don't deserve. It's God's mercy that withholds from me everything that I do deserve. And you know this evening, God's marvellous mercy, his grace, his mercy. What is the Almighty? Who else has grace and who else has mercy like him? But who else has peace like him? Who else gives peace to the troubled heart like our great God? The Lord Jesus himself said, so often we quoted at funerals in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What peace you and I have, brother and sister. Peace with God. Peace of God. Peace to put our head in the pillow and know it's well with her. So if anything should happen in the night watches. Peace, the peace of God. What is the Almighty? He's grace, he's mercy, he's peace. What about his great faithfulness? So often, Lamentations 3 and 22 and 23, it is that the Lord's mercies, we're not consumed. The Lord's mercies, we're not consumed before I get to the rest of the verse. I think of old Adam. He's put out of the garden. He looks back and he sees the flaming sword in the hand of the cherubim protecting the way to the tree of life that he cannot go there and partake and be as deathless as the angels. And he hears the roar of the lion and the growl of the bear and the snarl of the wolf and death's real to Adam for the first time but he can say it's of the Lord's mercies I'm not consumed. Going into chapter 6 and the, the flood. Noah and his family come out. And they can see the impacts of the flood and they can say it's of the Lord's mercies. I'm not consumed. He takes of the wine and can drunk and he can say that it's not the, of the Lord's mercies. I'm not consumed. And then during that drunkenness, the first homosexual act is committed and he can say it's of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. And you can follow it right through. The Tower of Babel comes next. It's not of the, Lord, it's of the Lord's mercies. We're not consumed. The strife between Adam or Abraham and his uh, Lot and the herdsmen and so on is of the Lord's mercies were not consumed. Sodom and Gomorrah of the Lord's mercies were not consumed. We're only in Genesis chapter 17. And you come the whole way down through history. And tonight you and I can say it's of the Lord's mercies were not consumed. But we can come to his great faithfulness in Lamentations 3. It's of the Lord's mercies that were not consumed because his compassions fail not. There in you every morning, great is Thy faithfulness. The great faithfulness of our God to you and to me this evening. What is the Almighty? He's great in his faithfulness. He's great in his grace and mercy and peace and faithfulness. He's great in his immutability. Just set the big word aside. Immutability just means that he changes not. No change. He's always the same. We all change. We age. Our circumstances change. Since the last time I was here, circumstances have changed. Our opinions change. 
or our lives change. What does Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6 say? For I am the Lord, I change not. His love doesn't change. Because the Lord, as he loved me yesterday, he loves me today and he loves me tomorrow and he loves me for eternity. Hebrews 13 and 8, regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. All may change, but Jesus never. Hallelujah this evening. What is the Almighty? His great attributes, his grace and his mercy and his peace and his faithfulness and his immutability. And I could go on about eternality and justice and goodness and providence and power and so many more. But everything that God is flows from the fact of his love. 1 John 4 and 8 says, for God is love. What is the Almighty tonight? He's love. Everything comes from his pure, untainted, unchanging, perfect love. Tonight he loves us. What love? What is the Almighty that we should serve him? He is our amazing God. His uncomparable uniqueness, his amazing attributes. What about his wonderful word that we have in our hands this evening? (coughs) Over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 different years. From the highly educated Dr. Luke. From the expert in so many fields in the Apostle Paul to Moses raised in the palace of Egypt, to the wisest man and Solomon, to the uncouth, uneducated, simple fisherman and the apostle Peter. God uses all sorts. He uses all types under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring his word. And we'll get into it more next week when we look at why serve him. But I want to say tonight, God's not so much interested in the suitability of Martin Thompson. He's not so much interested in the capability of Martin Thompson. He's not even interested in the ability of Martin Thompson. What he wants is Martin Thompson's availability. And tonight as we come to the house of God, as we see these authors in the word, mighty word of God, has he got our availability? It's many authors. I want you to see the magnificent revelation that is in this book if we take time to get into it. Of course, it divides into eight sections. In the Old Testament, there's four. The law, the history, the poetry, and the prophetical. We come to the New Testament, there's a further four. The Gospels, the Acts, the Epistles, and the Revelation. And how much they reveal. Of course, the, what it, the Word of God reveals about me. What it reveals about us. Reveals our sin. Reveals our nature, reveals our depravity, reveals our spiritual darkness, it reveals our deadness, it reveals our destiny, what it reveals about us, but what it reveals about God, his holiness, his personality, his character, all the attributes that we've already discussed. It reveals about eternity, a hell. Hell's only a holding center. Not the final destination. It's where the lost go pending the setting up of the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20. And then we find it's cast into the lake of fire. It reveals the lake of fire and it reveals the 
great white throne and it reveals hell. Things to be shunned. But it reveals that there's a heaven to gain and the pathway to get there. I wonder when was the last time we shared with someone the way to heaven. It reveals about us, what it reveals about God, what it reveals about eternity, what it reveals about the Lord Jesus Christ and his sonship, self-surrender, the sacrificial poverty, his suffering, his scars, his shepherding, his satisfaction, his soon coming, his sure glorification. It reveals about the Lord, what it reveals about his will. We as the people of God can know his will. For every area of our life. But how many know it this evening? How many have even asked for it? How many have searched for it? This mighty word of God shows us his will. It reveals what it reveals about us. What it reveals about God. What it reveals about eternity. What it reveals about Christ. What it reveals about his will. But what it reveals about his leading. And how he leads us through life. There's many authors. It's magnificent revelation. It's monumental accuracy, the accuracy of the Word of God. You know, the testimony of all areas of science confirm that this is the Word of God, despite what the atheist scientist will tell you. Every area. William Ramsey was the world's leading archaeologist. And he said, as an atheist, the accuracy of the writings of Luke. Luke was not only a first-class doctor, but he was a first-class historian. And everything that he wrote was exactly as he found it. And it was that that brought him to faith. Robert Dick Wilson was a leader in the literature of the Middle East. And he set himself a 40-year project to sight out and see the accuracy of 40 kings in the Old Testament, to see if they were in the right place at the right time with the right name and so on. And he said, there's nothing more sure than the word of God being accurate than the accuracy of those four kings. He said that the chances of those being in the right place in the right time was one chance in 10 to the power of 23. <coughs> and anything of more than 10 to 18 is an impossibility. The field of mathematical probability. Pasadena University in America took Eight prophecies of the Old Testament to see the odds of them being filled in one person. And the proofs had to come outside of the Old Testament, or straight of the New Testament. The proofs had to be found by people like Flavius Josephus, the historian, and people like that. And they took eight tests. And they came up with the fact that the chances of those being being fulfilled in one person was one chance in 28 with 31 zeros. And a former bank manager, I don't know how to say that number. And 18 is an impossibility. And that's only 8. When you add in all 333 possibilities, fulfilled prophecies in the first advent, how big are they? Who is the Almighty? Who has word like him? You add in biology and cosmology and archaeology and historical activity to point out some. The mighty word of God, the monumental accuracy of it. It's mighty enduring. For 200 years, the higher critics have attacked this book but made no progress. The evolutionist has made no progress and has now been made fools of, despite what they teach our children. Darwin himself said that if a certain number of set tests which science hadn't 
been able to test. If any one of those fell down, evolution's a busted flush. In the 1990s, Michael Behe in his little book, Darwin's Little Black Box, knocked every single one of them down. And so we could go on this evening. This book has been attacked. Diocletian burnt it and said he had removed the name of Jesus Christ from the earth. Very few have heard the name of Diocletian. The Lord still being preached and proclaimed and still saving souls. The communists banned this book and burnt it. The North Koreans still ban it. This book has been burnt, it has been banned, it has been banished, it has been berated, it has belittled, but still it's been proclaimed and still tonight, praise God, the power of the word of God is still changing lives. Who is the Almighty? Why should we serve him? Because of who he is and because of his word. Fourthly, the precious promises of the word of God. That's why we sang that hymn this evening. Every time I hear it, one, I think I'm late, and two, I'm looking for a bride. It was one of the hymns of the day, Elaine and I got married. And why I'm late, she was 45 minutes late, but that's neither here nor there, and hasn't improved much. But anyway, but the Christian, joking aside, has so many promises to stand on in this book. One has counted them, I haven't done it, but one has said there are 366. One for every day of the year and an extra one in case it's a leap year. But think of the promises of God, his presence in Hebrews 13 and 5, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The promise of his presence, the promise of his pardon, John 6 and 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come out or come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He's never turned one away yet. He'll always receive a repenting sinner. His presence, his pardon, what about his peace? We've already quoted it, John 14 and 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Promise of his pathway. Psalm 32 and 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Promise of his protection. Psalm 18 and 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my heart are. Oh, his pardon and his peace and his path and his protection. What about his pleasure? Psalmist says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness. I'll do one last one for the sake of time. John 14 and 3, our prospect. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto, my, unto myself, that where I am there, you may be also. Who is the Almighty tonight? What is the Almighty? Why should we serve him? Because of his uniqueness. Because of who he is, because of his word, because of his great and mighty promises. But then, not only his uncomparable uniqueness and his amazing attributes and his wonderful word and his precious promise, only our God tells the, foretells the future. No other religious book, not the Quran, not the book of the Hindus or any other rest of them, not one prophecy in them. In Isaiah 46 and 10, it tells us he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Who else foretells the future? 
talking about the virgin birth in Isaiah 7 and 14. 700 years beforehand, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And not only does it tell of the virgin birth, it tells of the place of his birth. Micah 5 and 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judah, and so on. And it's important it says Bethlehem Ephrata. If it just said Bethlehem, we wouldn't know which one. But the scripture narrows it down. The prophecy of the word of God regarding the, the virgin birth and the place of his birth. What about the presentation of the Lord in a cult in Zechariah 9 and 9? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having a salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And as he rode, they cried, Hosanna. And Hosanna simply means, save me now. They cried unto him, and oh, that we would see men crying unto him today for so great salvation. What about the prophecies of the type of his death in Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, for example? For dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Long before crucifixion was ever thought of, God declares in his word that that's how his son would die for you and for me. What about the price of his death? Zechariah 11 and 12. And he said unto them, If I think good, give me my price. My price. If not forbear, so they weighed for me my price, 30 pieces of silver. And the next verse, that it would be thrown to the potter. The Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter and to the house of the Lord. And there's many others regarding the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren and sisters, we can take confidence from this book. Who or what is the Almighty? He gives great promises. And when he says regarding the first advent, everything, every eye was dotted, every T was crossed. And we can take confidence this evening that every eye will be dotted and every T crossed regarding the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first part of that will be when he comes to the air for his saints. And in the last, these last of the last days, why should we serve him? Because we need to be faithful in these days. Why should we serve him? What is the Almighty? Because of his uniqueness, because of who he is, because of his word, because of his great and mighty promises, because he foretells the future. I want to finish tonight quickly with this just judgment. Second Timothy 4 and verse 8. Henceforth there is led up for me a crown of righteousness. With the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, but not only to me, and not to me only, but to all them that love his appearing. That ought to tremble us tonight and stir us up to reach the laws. One day he will judge the sinner. Psalm 96 and verse 13, Before the Lord he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. He's coming back again. Yes, he'll come for you and I to the air. But after the period of the seven years of the tribulation, 
whatever the gap between his coming to there and the start of that tribulation will be, he will come back and he will judge people for their sin. And I wonder tonight, when was the last time any of us gave out a gospel track? When was the last time on a Lord's Day evening we came into the gospel meeting and with someone in our car? When was the last time we witnessed to someone? We'll be held account for it, but there's not only the judgment of the sinner, but there'll be the judgment of the saint. And we'll deal more with it next week. But Second Timothy 4 and verse 8, Henceforth there is led up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not only me only, but to all them that love his appearing. Brothers and sisters, as I close, we will only get the gold, the silver and the precious jewels if we deserve them. We will only win one of the five crowns if it's merited, not be given out like sweetie mouse. We will only hear the well done, good and faithful servant if we merit it. Let us go from this place remembering who our God is and serve him. What is the Almighty? Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? Because of his uniqueness, because of who he is, because of his word, because of his great and mighty promises, because he alone who tells the future, he alone is the judge. We'll leave it there, we'll pick it up next week, but we trust that these thoughts will be a blessing and a challenge to us this evening.